Calving in this part of the country has a certain connotation with it. And I would guess most of you right now with that word are picturing cows giving birth to cattle or maybe some other kind of animal giving birth. It produces a certain sense of awe and wonder and it's also somewhat predictable. You let a bull run around with cows and miraculously around 280 days later, behold, there is another calf. No idea how that calf got there. There's another type of calving though that happens a little more irregularly and a lot less predictable. This calving doesn't produce new life, it produces icebergs. As glaciers move, bits and pieces fall off. And and as I say bits and pieces, I don't mean little tiny pieces of shaved ice. No, these pieces can be massive sizes. Some have been reported to be the size of Rhode Island, if you've ever been out that way. Or 776,000 acres, to put it into a little more perspective for us to understand. 1,200 square miles, that's a big bit of ice, a little piece of ice that falls off. But when these chunks break off of a glacier, they fall into the sea. And if you've ever had an iced beverage, you know that ice floats. So it falls down, and then it starts coming back up again. Some can rise up to 600 feet in the air. I mean, not in the air. They don't float in the air. It's floating on the sea. But all of a sudden, out of nowhere, here comes this big ice mountain, the size of two football fields standing on edge. Imagine being in a canoe and seeing this monstrous mountain rise from the abyss and tower over you, all from just a little bit of ice breaking off of a glacier. It's enough, again, to stir up awe and wonder and and probably a touch of terror just for good measure. The thought of a mountain suddenly appearing out of nowhere can make us feel a little uneasy, and yet people still are willing to flock to glaciers to try to see this happening, and some have even gotten caught on these caving or calving icebergs themselves, trying to run around to stay above the water. It's not for me, but maybe it's for you. And if you like land a little more than being on a moving piece of ice, you can just head west a few hours or maybe a few more hours to see some mountains for yourselves. All year long, people are flocking to those mountains too, whether it's for skiing, climbing, biking, hiking, There's a certain draw that those mountains have as well. From a distance, it doesn't seem to be too big, but the closer you get, the bigger and bigger they seem to be. And again, these mountains too produce a sense of awe and wonder. It helps us to see how small and seemingly insignificant we truly are. In Isaiah chapter 2, the prophet paints a picture with his words that inspire awe and wonder. A picture of a mountain that will tower above all the other mountains. A mountain that will cause people from all over to come to this mountain to check it out. A mountain with a magnetic pole. Again, I'll invite you to open up your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, as we take a look at this mountain here this morning. Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And again, if you're able, I'll invite you to stand out of respect for God's word. Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, reading in Jesus' name. The word which Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it will come about that in these last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains, and will be raised above the hills, and all the nations will stream to it. And many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For the Lord will go forth from Zion. 
and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he will judge between the nations and will render decisions for many peoples. And they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they learn war. Father God, these are your words, and your word is true. We pray this morning that you would sanctify us in your truth here today. Lord, draw our hearts to you this morning. Give us understanding as we open up your word. And Father, may you send your spirit to work in our hearts and in our lives today and each and every day. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. And just a few chapters later, we read about the call of Isaiah into ministry. And Isaiah is given a glimpse of the Lord sitting on his throne and, and the voice of the Lord saying, who, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And Isaiah responds, I'm not entirely sure if he fully knew what he was getting himself into, but he says, Here am I, send me. And then the Lord gives Isaiah an idea of what it was exactly that he just volunteered for. He says this, go and tell this people, keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull and their eyes dim. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. In other words, God is saying to Isaiah here, go and be my mouthpiece, but I am warning you, no one is going to listen to you. Don't expect these people to change. And Isaiah is such a rich book. It's hard for us to believe that, that people would have just dismissed the prophet Isaiah. It's probably the most familiar book in the Old Testament for us. And of the 52 Sundays that there have been so far, or 51 so far, and 52 next Sunday, 20 of these Sundays include a scripture reading from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is a book that we look back to pretty regularly. Yet it mostly fell upon deaf ears when it was first delivered, which makes the prophecy in this text that much more desirable, that much more eye-capturing for us, that much more inconceivable for the people at the time. There will be a time when people will no longer turn a deaf ear to Isaiah and his message, that they will no longer turn a deaf ear to the Lord, but will instead seek him out. The prophecy begins here by declaring the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief mountain. The mountain being raised will be intriguing enough to get people's attention, but what happens next is even more awe-inspiring. People are going to stream to this mountain. People from all over. People from every nation, verse 2 says. And these people are streaming to the mountain. They aren't coming for a, a nice photo op. They're not coming because they want a a cardio workout to climb up this mountain, or they're not coming to go skiing down. They're coming to this mountain for more than vain curiosity and for more than just excitement. They're coming to learn. They stream to this mountain to approach the house of the God of Jacob to come and to see the Lord. I don't know about you, but when I hear this picture, in my mind, I, I picture some hard-to-reach temple with some wise old man sitting up there and people trying to do this rigorous climb to seek his wisdom, to find out, what you have something for me. What is this message that you have for me? I've, I've conquered all of this ground, all of this way. I've, I've gone through all this adversity, and here I am. Now tell me what I need to know. A bit like the story of the Wizard of Oz, right? 
However, these people aren't going to the Lord in hopes of finding a brain. They're not following the yellow brick road, so to speak, to find a heart or to find courage. They aren't on a self-serving journey here. These people are streaming to the mountain, to the house of the Lord for a certain reason. And as the text says, that he may teach us concerning his ways and that we may walk in his paths. People aren't flocking to the mountain of the Lord to, to learn the ways of the Lord. They are flocking to learn the ways of the Lord, but not just to learn them, but to walk in them. And boy, wouldn't that be nice. Wouldn't it be great if people learned to fear the Lord above all else? If people acted with honesty and, and humility, compassion, love, and, and mercy, and not just a few hours out of the week, but 24-7. Instead, we're too busy chasing after the world's wisdom, whatever it is it tells us to chase after today. Or we're too caught up in ourselves that we fail to see that there are other human beings out there, people with eternal souls we can view them as opponents, view them as the enemy, or view them as the competition. And we worry over what might happen if, if those people were ever to get an advantage over us. And so instead, we try to operate out of fear. Out of what happens if I lose my power, if I lose authority, if I lose my standing in this world, if I lose something and someone else gets it, what will happen? And so we spend our lives trying to keep what is ours trying to keep others from having it. We operate more out of fear than a desire to walk in the ways of the Lord. There comes a time, though, once we've operated in fear long enough that we realize that our way isn't the best way. We understand that we don't have all the answers, and, and we begin to understand that maybe, just maybe, God knew what he was doing when he gave us the law. That just maybe God has a plan for us, a purpose for us, and, and his desire for us as we follow his law isn't just so that we suffer and have miserable existence here in this life. It's not so that he has a reason to punish us whenever we go against his word or his laws. But it's for our own protection. It's for our own benefit. It's for our own good. As Isaiah identifies the law here in this passage, he isn't merely referring to the Ten Commandments, but he is referring to all of God's Word. God's Word has been given to us for our good, for our benefit. Explaining that what God requires of us, that's good for us to know, but also what God has done Himself to meet that requirement in our stead. This Word of God will go forth from Jerusalem. And as it goes forth, it draws souls to check out this mountain, to learn the ways of the Lord and to walk in his paths, the path that is good. Isaiah prophesies of a desire to hear and to learn and to put into practice the word of God. Hearing the word of God is good. Scripture is, it tells us that faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And so it's good for us to hear God's word, to give ourselves opportunities to hear it, to take it in, to read it for ourselves. Yet there's still a danger in merely hearing it. And James warns us of that very danger. The very real potential of hearers, of being hearers who delude themselves, simply thinking, I've heard it, I've done the thing, I'm good to go. And he encourages each person to be a doer of the word. Doers of the word is what's pictured here in Isaiah. They come, they hear, they learn, but they also build their lives upon these truths. 
They seek to walk into the ways of the Lord. They put it into practice. The Christian life isn't a life spent learning trivia, but a life lived in submission and obedience to his word. A life lived in accordance with God's word. And and in order for that to happen, we have to know God's word. In order to know God's word, we have to hear God's word. We have to study God's word. It must be heard. We need to hear it. We need to learn it. We also need to put it into practice. Isaiah describes this word of the Lord going forth from Jerusalem and from Zion. And as people flock to this mountain, they take what they've learned along with them. They take the word of the Lord with them. And that word is then brought to the corners of creation, to every tribe, to every tongue, to every nation. And that word beckons others, come, come to this mountain. Come and see for yourself. Come and learn for yourself. Experience the goodness of God in your staff, in your stat, on your behalf. So we hear that message, come. But we ask ourselves the question, where? Where is this mountain and how, how do we get there? It shouldn't be too hard to find if it really is protruding above all of the other mountains. But what is this mountain? God tells us in his word. This isn't the only place that we hear about a mountain growing or being raised above everything else. There's a certain king, a powerful king, who was haunted by a dream, haunted by a vision. And he didn't understand this vision. He tried to find someone who could interpret it for him, but no one could. None of his wise men could do that for him. And he was about to have all of his wise men executed for being frauds and phonies until a young man steps up, a young man who feared the Lord, was brought before the king. And Daniel interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream for him. A little over a hundred years after this of Isaiah's prophecy, Daniel identifies this mountain, giving us more clarity, saying that this mountain that grows above all the other kingdoms of the world, the mountain would be a kingdom which would never be destroyed. It would be a kingdom that would endure forever, a kingdom that penetrates every nation, every tribe, and continues to grow throughout this world. The kingdom would come into the scene like a wrecking ball, is what Nebuchadnezzar sees, obliterating all the other kingdoms of the world, all the kingdoms of darkness. Daniel identified the source of this mountain as he interprets Nebuchadnezzar's dream. This multi-section statue, this impressive statue made of all kinds of, of hard, hard, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Hard objects, hard material, is going to be crushed by a stone that's cut without human hands. And that stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth from Daniel chapter 2. And this mountain here in Isaiah chapter 2 is that same mountain in Daniel chapter 2. Fast forward a number of centuries and and we learn more specifics about this stone that is cut without human hands as God continues to reveal his word, making it more and more clear for us. Through Simeon, who said to Mary as he met the baby Jesus, Behold, this child, this child in your arms right here is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. This tiny little baby. This baby is the one through whom many will fall and many will rise in Israel. And after Jesus' death and resurrection, Peter took up his pen under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit here to inform the scattered church that Jesus is the very one whom the psalmist described. The stone which the builders rejected became the chief cornerstone. 
and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Jesus is that stone that came to crush the statue. He is the mountain established as the chief of the mountains, raised above all the other hills, drawing all nations to himself. He is the way, the truth, the life. There is none other. The advent or the coming of Christ into this world would change everything. Christ came into this world and turned everything upside down. He came into this world to save the world, to call sinners to salvation. Yet people treated him no differently than the previous prophets, especially when he claimed to be again the Messiah. They despised him, they rejected him. He was a man of sorrows and a man well acquainted with grief. And we know that again from the prophet Isaiah, who people don't want to listen to. And he came to offer a kingdom of peace, one of peace with God and peace with man, where justice and righteousness reigns eternal, a kingdom where all wrongs are righted and where sketchy pasts are not just ignored. They're not just erased, but they are redeemed and restored and used for his glory and for his purposes. Christ ushered in this kingdom with his first coming here. And his word continues his work of calling out to the lost, inviting people to come to check out this mountain, to come and to see the Lord who works marvelous things within our lives, to come to learn of his ways, to come to walk in his paths. And I mentioned this a little earlier, won't it be great to see this happen? Won't it be great to see people flocking to the Lord? And it certainly will be great. But friends, it is great even now. And it is happening even today. Look around you. It's happening now and it's happening here. We could be anywhere else, wherever we want to be here this morning, but instead we have flocked to the mountain of the Lord to come to hear his ways, to come to learn his ways that we might walk in his ways. The Lord is at work through his word calling people from all walks of life to come to the mountain of the Lord and to learn from him, to learn his ways, to walk in his path, that his law would go forth. And it's happening here as this is exactly what we've gathered to do this morning. It happens in every Bible study, in every worship service, in every conversation we tell others about the Lord. The Lord is drawing them to himself. It happens in our homes as we gather together around scripture. Even if the kids are screaming and running about and no one seems to be listening. It's happening in Sunday school. It's happening in congregations scattered around the globe. Big congregations, small congregations, urban congregations, rural congregations, congregations that aren't permitted to meet together legally, congregations that are being persecuted, and congregations that are being permitted. The Lord is bringing this about even now within our midst. The Lord is doing this work in the world now. And not only is the Lord doing this work in the world, but he's doing this in your life too. We may be thick-headed at times. We may be slow learners. We may even kick against the goads when the Lord is telling us to do something and we say, uh-uh, I don't know, I'm going to do something else. I don't want to do it your way. Dragging our heels in where we are called to follow the Lord. And yet, here we are again, giving ourselves to hear God's word, to learn God's word, to be called again into obedience. And we've gathered this morning to confess our sins, to say, God, I haven't loved you above all things. I've sinned against you in my thoughts and my words and my deeds. Lord, I, I haven't been faithfully following you as you have called me to. We confess our sin. 
Sin of our own stubbornness, of our own willful disobedience, and of putting other things before the Lord, of fearing man, fearing what might happen to us more than we fear the Lord. And and of all of this, the Lord continues to teach us His ways. His word, first of all, warns us that these sins aren't okay. He tells us that the wages of, of sin is death. So we don't just shrug it off and say it's no big deal. But it also tells us that the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And he points us back to that mountain, back to Calvary and the act that happened there where it was paid for in full for you and invites you, invites me, invites the world to come to come to himself, to hear, to learn, to study his ways, and to see what Christ has done in your behalf. I'll close with these words from James Montgomery. He's a hymn writer, and you'll probably recognize these words. Come to Calvary's holy mountain. Come to Calvary's holy mountain, sinners ruined by the fall. Here a pure and healing fountain flows to you, to me, to all, in a full perpetual tide, open when our Savior died. Come in poverty and meanness, come defiled without, within. From infection and uncleanness, from the leprosy of sin, wash your robes and make them white, and ye shall walk with God in light. Come in sorrow and contrition, wounded, impotent, and blind. Hear the guilty free remission, hear the troubled peace may find. Health this fountain will restore. He that drinks shall thirst no more. He that drinks shall live forever. Tis a soul-renewing flood. God is faithful. God will never break his covenant of blood. Signed when our Redeemer died. Sealed when he was glorified. So friends, come to Calvary's holy mountain. Come and learn and see what he is doing here. Learn and put these things into practice. Friends, the Lord is at work. It may seem that there are few who are desiring to learn the ways of the Lord. It may not seem like the whole world is, is flocking to the Lord at this time, but people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation are indeed flocking to that mountain of the Lord. And today that call once again comes to you and to me. Come to this mountain. Come and learn. Come and see, and come and live. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will bring you rest. I will give you rest. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and for its truth. Lord, thank you that your word draws us to yourself, that you are calling us to yourself through your word. Father, we pray that we would heed your word, that we would not just be merely hearers of your word, but that we would also be doers of your word that we would trust it, that we would believe it, Lord, that we would live it out as well, that we would align our lives in agreement with it. Father, we pray that you would forgive us for the times when you call us and we say, no thanks, not now, maybe later. We ask for your grace to continue to call to us again and again. Lord, we pray that you would not give up in calling us to yourself. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to draw us to yourself, to draw us to your mountain, that one day we might be with you in paradise. Father, we pray for those who are chasing after the ways of the world. Lord, seeking the world's wisdom, we pray that you would work in each one of our hearts. Help us to see the emptiness of it all. And Lord, to see the wonder, the awe, the glory of what you have accomplished for us. In our place, in our stead, on our behalf. 
God, we thank you that you are coming to seek and to save the lost, and we thank you that you are doing that in our lives today and each and every day. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.